0: My name is Julian Villard, I am a musician, I'm a songwriter, I play piano, I did a lot of these things out in in, in bars for a very long time until about a couple months ago, and I am a uh, Queens resident with a wife and two children, I've got a 3 year old and a 4 month old. Wow. Does that feel succinct, or do you (laughs) need more?
1: No, that feels fine. Okay. Uh, um, What made you decide to be a professional musician?
0: You know, I, I think for me, the entry point was always songwriting. And I think, well, I, first of all, I went to a performing arts high school in New York. So even though when I left there, I really wanted to make movies and, and, and write movies. That was really very much my passion. And I didn't feel very confident in my musical ability. I, the foundation was laid. You know, I knew a lot more than just your average Joe because I'd been studying for four years and I was a voice major there. And I think I started, I started kind of writing songs when I was around 15, 16, 15. And the, basically it was in college when I couldn't get a film class for the first couple of years. I just sort of kind of gravitated back to music. And it seemed like the things that I wanted to do with, movie making I might be able to do with songwriting. And I think that's really when the bug bit me. I was about 18, 19 years old is when I had sort of been lightly writing songs all along, but I think it was kind of the trauma of going to college, leaving home, just all the, you know, sort of stuff that comes with that. And the kind of awakening that happens is what really put me into the, you know, me. And so by the time I got out of there, I was gung ho. I was all in (laughs) <laughs> and so I, w- I would say that probably started around when i was like 18 19 and by the time i was 20 21 i was pretty sold because i would be coming back to new york i went to hampshire college i was coming back to new york in the summers and booking gigs
1: okay where is hampshire college
0: it's in western massachusetts in the hampshire valley
1: oh see i should it's i should own
0: that it's part of the five college collective or something i can't remember what they call it but it's smith UMass, uh, Amherst, Mount Holyoke, and uh, Hampshire. And the uh, characters from Scooby-Doo are all a reference to those those colleges. And Shaggy is from uh, Hampshire. Really? Yep. Shaggy was Hampshire. <laughs> Velma Velma is Smith. Daphne is Mount Holyoke. Uh, was his name Freddie or Pete? I can't Fred, remember what the name is. Fred. His name was Fred. Fred. Fred was Amherst, and Scooby-Doo was UMass. He was a frat boy.
1: Wow. How did you find this out, even? Well, I guess they do they tell you that at the school?
0: Yeah, that's part of the lore, you know, (laughs) when you go there. But I'm trying to who are my other famous alums? So, I mean, a lot of famous kind of like famous artists went there. Ken Burns is famously an alum, Jacob Dylan is an alum. But while I was there, uh, Eric Krasno from Soul Live was there. Right on. At the same time, he was in Lettuce and they played my orientation. So I was very much in this, you know, it's it's very like uh, privileged. Northeastern, white kid, hippie. I, I, I was, you know, I got in there. It, I really wanted to go to NYU and I didn't get in. Mm-hmm. And the two schools I got into were Emerson and Hampshire. And Hampshire was the only one that offered me any financial aid. So I went. And while I, w- I didn't realize kind of because it's a very unique school, there's no tests, there's no grades. And I didn't realize what I was sort of the kind of class of person that I was going to be around, you know, because I got, I'm not saying that I come from, a rough situation but you know i grew up in new york so, and i went to public high school so and i went to public schools for most of the time i was there so while i definitely was i probably was the the best most well off of all my friends mm-hmm. and then i got to college and i was like oh my god these kids really have money
1: <laughs> no tests no grades i i've actually never heard of that before
0: Oh, there's a couple schools. It's, it's you know, it's akin to Bard or Evergreen is another one. But Hampshire is the most extreme in that in that thing. They sort of have this kind of like pass-fail or incomplete-complete mm. way of doing things, which, you know, I actually really worked well for me because I was a very rambunctious and iconoclast and anti-authoritarian youth. So I, I never was good at doing what people told me to do.
1: Where'd that come from?
0: I think I've now figured out that my father was like that as well, but I didn't quite realize that you know he's admitted to that to me later on i mean my, my father has had a very very crazy life so he he was an orphan in the holocaust oh wow you know, and, and and hidden for most of his life as a jew and raised by jesuit priests and then wasn't told he was jewish till his american relatives who've been looking for him his whole life said hey look you, you need to leave france and come come here and you he came to philadelphia in 1963 and didn't go back to france till 99 So he's had a kind of bonkers life. And so, you know, he's just a, he he kind of was raised by wolves, you know, that's the best way to put it. And so he just, I realized that I, you know, he was a very, he was a stern figure, not necessarily a disciplinarian, but a stern figure. And I realized sort of after the fact that he was, that was probably him trying to correct something that was maybe in, in him.
1: Sure. I mean, parents tend to one way or another pass their whatever they've been through down to their children consciously or unconsciously.
0: Absolutely. So. What do they call it? Um, epigenetic trauma, right?
1: I sure. <laughs> we, that's, that's the term. <laughs> you can call it that. Uh, yeah, I don't know, but I I've certainly noticed that in myself, you know, sure. and it sounds like, you know, it sounds like your dad definitely had a very confusing upbringing. And then to find out things sort of as an older person, And that kind of makes you go back and question your whole childhood almost.
0: I mean, you know, he's it's only now as an adult and having to start some level of some very small level of self-awareness that I'm able to sort of see kind of how much I was a product of my upbringing and how kind of unique my parents are, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word or to to say nice. And and so (laughs) I've only seen it now, you know, as I get older and I see the way my other friends, parents deal with them later in life that, and, and that's why I feel like I've always been in this weird situation where I sort of, I was going to say, I was going to say code switch, but I don't code switch. I'm like, but, but basically I was, I was like hanging out with like a higher class of kid than I was. Okay. Does that make sense. Yeah. You know, like, not like I came from anything rough. My father was rough and very much an overachiever. So he hustled his way into a situation in New York which kind of bought me X, Y, and Z. Sure. But the reality is I didn't belong there. And that's why I always hung out with like, you know, public school kids and a lot of kids from different ethnic backgrounds and stuff. You know, I just think I didn't feel, I never felt a hundred percent comfortable in that world. And I actually, you know, I've only seen that as I've gotten, you know, as I get gotten fur, got further into the music business and all these things, I saw the gradations of like, you know, and, and again, I, I am not saying that I'm not, I'm like, I come from a rough place. You know, I, I came from a very good upbringing and I was very fortunate. Sure. But I did, I do notice a difference as I get older to seeing the way that my parent, my friend's parents deal with them and the way my parents deal with me. Sure. You yeah. know, it's different. I don't, there, I sort of, and, and and I'm grateful for it on one level because it's maybe into the person that I am, but I'm also, there are moments when it can be really frustrating, you know? Such as? Well, it's, I mean, the money thing is big. You know, but I have I have I have unique parents and nobody gave my father anything, anything. So you can imagine when it comes to him giving you something. It's a it's a loaded gun. Mm -hmm. So he's like, why would you get this? (laughs) I didn't get it, you know, and by his stretch, And, and, you know, he's, he's it's true by his, you know, estimations. I've had a charmed life. Like, I have no idea what what struggle is. You know? So that's always present in our conversations. So it's, 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 it's like part of his DNA of who he is and what's, it's his story. And it's, and it's also infused me with my work ethic, but there are moments when I'm, I I really need to spend more time unpacking that.
1: Sure. (laughs) Sure. So you get out of college and what is your, like, where are you at? Are you like, I'm going to get a record contract and make records? Are you like, I'm going to play piano for a band? Or like, where are you at when you get out of college?
0: I think, you know, it was never that clear to me. You know, I think I, I definitely, the sort of make, you know, the the, the the path that my career took, I mean, and, and also, you know, this is right as, you know, I, I graduated and three months later, September 11th happened, right? Oh shit, so, okay. You know, so it's, it's like I, I kind of and I actually feel like that's very um, indicative of where I sit in kind of the continuum in terms of art, but also, you know, in pop music, but also where I sit in the generationally. I'm, I'm sort of the youngest Gen Xer you could be. <laughs> right. So I don't quite I never. So when you got when I got out of school and all that went down, you still was still a time when if you wanted to do anything, you went and got a major label record deal. Right. right? That was the, that was the path. But I never had the self-assuredness that these other people had. It was for me. It was that I just loved songwriting. I I was a geek. I just wanted to write songs. And funnily enough, a lot of that for me and and you know I'll name drop on your podcast. But one of my really close friends growing up was Jordan Peele. And when I hung with Jordan, you know, later on in life, and we kind of got into some conversations, it was amazing. We used to we were total role playing game dorks, <laughs> right? We would play like, Dungeons and Dragons. But but beyond D and D, other things like Heroes Unlimited and Rifts, the Palladium Universe, all kinds of geeky ass stuff, and like not not quite so Lord of the Ringsy, you know, or or, or Tolkien, which is funny because when I got to college and I saw all these people wearing wizard robes, I was like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> I mean, you know, I was it was so so weird to me. I'm like, what are these freaky deaky people, you know, like with staffs walking around? I was just like, <laughs> we just you know we had our dice and we got together. But when George, what I always kind of an interesting takeaway is when we hung later in life and this is before he, you know, became a super duper star. He was, you know, Key and Peele had just started, but he was telling me how much his comedy would came from kind of a role playing type headspace. How, and I was like, I felt the same way about, yeah, for songwriting for me, it was like the same kind of feeling I would get when I'd be making these characters. That's what making songs were like for me, you know? Mm-hmm. And so for the reason sort of songwriting kind of, I, I mean, I played role playing games way too late. Like I, I hung in there a long time. See, like I was playing magic cards and I was doing all kinds of geeky stuff. So I was, but it was really until I was trying to get laid.
1: See, you you know? So you like, don't give off that kind of impression to me. You don't strike me at all as someone that would be into that kind of stuff.
0: Well, I, so I was going through this this bag of pictures because I had to get something out to, to do a, a, a social media thing. And, I, you know, whatever. I'm sure everybody's doing this now. They're, they're just kind of going through and cataloging. And... I, I could show you some pictures of me in high school, and you'd be like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> because and, and and proof is in the pudding. I showed up to twenty year reunion, and I legit, there were like women who were like jaw dropped.
1: Huh? Okay.
0: They were just like they were like, "Holy shit!" Like, what happened to you? You know, because I was I high school. See, I was always I was always like very social, and I was you know I was my senior class president. I was also thrown out of being senior class president. Which is a whole other crazy story, huh? All uh, right, for for a perceived racial incident, incident which oh, is God. like the great—I know, right? It's the it was like the crazy. I, I literally had all the black kids in school wanted to kick the shit out of me, but <laughs> be, because it, the teacher ended up getting fired, it was the most messed up. It was the craziest thing ever. Which weirdly, this that story involves another New York musician, Elizabeth Zeman of Elizabeth and the Catapult.
1: Okay, i She of went one. to
0: my she went to my high school and she was like this is the craziest thing and actually it, it kind of came out on a weird podcast i did with her where basically she got the the teacher got me suspended and then she got that teacher fired um because this teacher was insane and I, I tried to pull a move i was like i said i was anti-authoritarian so i did a move and she like read this paper i wrote to the class and accused me of being a racist and all this stuff and like finally the school was like you can't do that you can't like like, yeah, he shouldn't have written this obscene paper to you, but you cannot call a, a student a racist right. in, like, a predominantly black school. Right. You know, and so, and so she got – whatever. I, you know, It was all good, but it was like this – she made it into this whole thing that I was attacking her because she was a black woman. I was like, no, no, you're terrible. You're, like, the worst teacher I've ever had, and I'm an asshole, so I'm going to – you know, whatever. <laughs> but the I, – I was very charismatic and social, but I was a chubby kid with acne. You know, I I was I was a real like I I grew I grew into myself. So without the attention from girls, like I just dorked out hard, you know, and it wasn't really until I got to my junior, senior year when I started to stretch out and then I could like hang and and even, you know, but even then that, you know, it's like anything else. That's that crucial period of being like a fat kid when you're like age nine to age 15. That's what, you know, you're kind of forever a fat kid. Right. You know, and I'm not, but like, it's like, if it, it, it does something to your brain. Oh yeah. No so, doubt. You know, no doubt. It's, 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 it's that, but the deeper, my deeper sort of kind of reservoir of nerdiness slash kind of the thing I always had in common with those kids was I, I sort of had like a weirdly in, is, is a lack of self-confidence that expresses a as a lack of supreme confidence, you know? It looks to, like, the people that I'm supremely confident, but I'm actually right. not.
1: So, yeah, I get it. So a lack of confidence that manifests itself into appearing overconfident.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and I think now I recognize that about myself and I understand why when I hang with people, like, I'll rub them the wrong way. But, like, I just accept that's kind of how I am is that – and a lot of times it's just me, me being playful. But then, you know, I was – I was yeah, I was – those were my – my people were like the dorks, you know, and hmm. – and, Or just like, I don't know, the more like artistically, I mean, I went to a school of artists too. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of weird because everybody had that component to them. We didn't really have standard jocks in our school. Sure. You know, like the goth kid was, was like an incredible Rodin level sculpture, (laughs) sculptor. You know, it's, you know, there was, each kid was a, was a total. And I realized when I got to college and I saw these people who were art majors and I was, I was like, dude, like Gabe from, you know. Homeroom could school your ass in like sketching, you know, it's it the who doesn't even care who's like doing, you know Tag like the kid who could tag in my school was amazing, you know, right? so, so yeah, so I I think but yeah, I and I I just sort of always I always could I always sort of had that in me And I think that's why I love, you know, fantasy sports or computer programming or songwriting because songwriting is very mathematical
1: Sure, I can see that as someone who is not a songwriter by any stretch of the imagination I can definitely see there being kind of a math to it.
0: Yeah, but you're you're someone who deeply understands music, yes. and I think you you, you know you, you I'm sure even as someone who doesn't have the toolkit, you recognize the patterns.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, n- being a musician in New York, being a songwriter in New York is super super competitive. How do you make yourself? unique in just this field of, you know, everyone comes to New York from, you know, Indiana and Iowa and Illinois and wherever to be an actor or a singer or something like that. How do you make yourself stick out?
0: I think for me, I mean, then or now? Either, both. Because then it was a different, you know, and I think that's been a big part of it. I've had to sort of reeducate my whole philosophy of creation and self-promotion has mutated because i i i kind of i got a major label deal in 2007 kind of i got one of that was sort of at the the last i mean the the sort of death throes of it Mm -hmm. you know before the whole and then spotify emerges in 2009 and the entire way that the, the the industry model is begins to shift i mean it was already shifting from 2000 or 99 with napster sure but it, the kind of massive shift happens in the next 10 years. And, you know, I think I had two things going for me is that I have a very unique upbringing and a very unique voice that's taken me a long time to fully embrace. And I think even when I was trying to sort of hang with the the class of 03, you know, or whatever, and, you know, try to be in that uh, Gavin de Jason Mraz, John Mayer kind of group crew, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I wasn't even really consciously doing it, but I guess I was, you know, I mean, that was what was going on. I just always had too many angles. You know, I was a city kid. I, I didn't have a suburban upbringing. So my reference, my frame, I was, and I'm a pure city kid. You know, I almost have a more of a reference point to Steven Sondheim or Woody Allen than I do to, you know, somebody who grew up in Connecticut. Sure. And so a lot of times my songs had sort of more narrative bents and we're just quirkier and then i also just think i had this kind of insane work ethic because my father you know beat it into me right and so much of me picking music was my way to try to prove him wrong you know and to to, you know that's that's i was looking for that approval
1: was there the perception that you would not be able to make it as a musician were you feeling that from you know from your from your dad at all
0: you know, it wasn't like they stopped me, but they did. And, and listen, he, so he lent me money, right? To make records. Okay. He, he asked for the money back with interest, <laughs> which is, you know, so I, and I paid that man back every cent I ever took as far as, as far as music is concerned. And mm-hmm. I pretty much, and you know, I think when I got the deal was when, and there was actually, there was a deal before that, that kind of fell through with a label called Artemis mm-hmm. that once he saw that, oh, wow, someone's going to give my son tens of thousands of dollars. And, and then in the case of the major label deal it was, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think he started to see, OK, this has this sort of has legs with him. You know, I had I had proven myself to that point because he's not a, it, I'm, I'm not going to say he's not an, an a, he doesn't get art, but he's not an estate. He's he's just of a different kind of mind. He's sure. a very artistic person, but in a different way. Right. And I don't he he wasn't the kind of, you know, parent who, you know, oh, my son's a songwriter. My songs are the, you know, it wasn't, I don't think that was something he felt really, you know, proud about. Proud right. of So I think, you know, whenever the conversations on music companies, you know, and stuff goes down, he, you know, his, his whole line will be, well, you picked a terrible industry,
1: <laughs>
0: you know, <laughs> which is not, you know, the thing you want to, you necessarily want to hear. Not the know? most
1: supportive uh, viewpoint. No,
0: no. But, but, you know, when, it, when it, his actions were louder than his words. Right. You know, he never did any, like, he was a supportive parent, but he said some crazy stuff. But he comes <laughs> from a crazy place, you know. And, they, you know, he came to shows. My mom never came to shows. So, you know, and, I, and music was very much my thing. It was my little world that I was going to go and, I, you know, kind of go at hard. So I think I just, you know, I think why, that's why I continue to stay relevant on any level is because I, I just outwork these mofos. Right. You I mean, know, I'm like, you, a, I'm a crazy person.
1: You keep yourself pretty busy. I mean, you've got, you know, you make records. Yes. You are in the process of putting out your, your quote unquote play Broadway show.
0: Right. Well, it's a record. It's a, it's a concept yes. album. By the I'm, I'm, but, know, it's a, but it's a show, right? You I, know, it's whatever. I,
1: I am air quoting.
0: It's, it's ambitious.
1: Right. Yeah. You do your piano karaoke Sid Golds thing. Mm-hmm. You do your NPR thing. You do, like, I, what, how do you manage to do, like, to have, like, five jobs at once? Like, how, what? where does that work ethic come from? Is it, like, fear of failure? Is it just wanting to be busy all the time to I stay mean, out of your own head? Is it?
0: Fa- fa- failure is a big one, you know, being perceived as, and, and, I, and when it's, I mean, well, first of all, there's just a, rat. there's a level of necessity, because, like, none of those things that you mentioned really pay for my living. Sure. It's only the totality of those 14 things. And before the, you know, the uh, in the before times, as we like to refer <laughs> to them, I thought that, you know, diversifying my income would keep me sort of not beholden to one thing. Right. I would have leverage because if I lost a gig, I always had other gigs, to, you know, so I wasn't I never got, would get fired, per se. Sure. I never really expected a thing to come along that would just invalidate, you know, a huge portion of my livelihood, which is, you know, and and I think that's, you know, that's the interesting part. It's like, if you work in entertainment right now, it's a, it's a crazy situation. So I think, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think once the deal didn't happen, right. And and it was, I got the deal and then I kind of went through the whole kind of typical major label experience where I made the record, you know, put out a song, got dropped, got the record back. I moved to London and had a whole adventure there. I think I was really in a place where I was licking my chops and I needed a second act I needed to figure out and it just started out as frantically throwing a million things against the wall to see what stuck because I was much more single minded in my pursuit in my 20s mm-hmm. right it wasn't until things really bottomed out for me and I definitely look at my career as sort of a tale of two decades you know oh, like oh one to 20 to like you know I mean really that ended in 2011 but like let's say it I kind of the, the, was sniffing the ending in like 2010. Okay. Right. And really 20, you know, 29 was the lowest point 20, to 2009. So that's like the hey, I'm going to be a rock star phase. And then everything since then has been sort of this second act of how to kind of create revenue streams and just keep myself busy and keep it going. I mean, I don't think it's that I'm scared of being bored or I'm frantic. It just feels like that's kind of what my path is. I also don't think I'm very good at playing politics, so I don't really have those <laughs> those skills. You know, I can't like get an agent to do what I want. Okay. You know, I never have been. I'm just too direct.
1: Do you think wh- where does the direct? A lot of people would say that the, the directness is a specifically New York quality. Do you think? Yeah.
0: I mean, for me, it's that, but plus, I like have I come from immigrant parents, and, you know, my dad is a crazy person. You know, like I was <laughs> raised by these two very I was raised by the two most New York people you could possibly imagine. So it's just, and i and it's a control thing, you know, like I'm just I don't I never understood these people who have this faith. You know, I was it's funny, like I was listening to Paul Shear on a podcast recently, who's another friend of mine, great comedian who I met along the way. And he said something really interesting on the podcast. He said, you know, there was a moment when he was offered a major network thing, kind of around 08, and he decided to do Human Giant with Aziz Ansari and Rob Hubel. And that was the thing that really broke him, mm-hmm. right? But he turned down a real money gig to do that. He had some, he didn't really mention what it was, but he, you know, it was some big show. He got offered a part. And he just said, I'm going to bet on myself. Like, I never had that clarity, you know? I, I don't know whether it was my upbringing like I would have taken the money, you know the this the the need to be a success So part of my reason of being so frantic is I just don't want to let any of these things go cold because I never know where they're gonna lead Because maybe that is my ticket, right? You know, I never had the single-minded approach of just being like I'm I mean It's there because I still keep doing it, but I also am, you know my, my record-making and my albums are getting so I mean, I'm not gonna say obtuse, but they're getting pretty niche that sure. I'm not expecting to unlock some sort of gold mine of of wealth or acclaim <laughs> you know right and i'm just now i'm just really truly following my muse and i'm trying to create an ecosystem where i can do that and get some benefits out of it but i don't ever really expect you know i mean i have this i have this sort of hope in the back of my mind that you know some famous director is going to hear one of my songs and say julian you're amazing write all the songs for my crazy Romantic comedy musical or whatever, you know, that's that's the gig for me. But I find that a lot of times the guys who do that or or the people who end up doing that, they've been thinking that way all along. Right. You know, I just I never really had that. And I think if it's like a lack of self-confidence, I don't know what it is, you know, And and and, and as I've gotten older, I've actually worked to beat that out of me because I all I found was that the focus of. I talk. I'm like I feel like I'm in a fucking therapist chair here.
1: But I I want you to talk.
0: I found that the how do I say this? That like when I really went, I really swung for the fences, and that swing depended on someone else pushing a button, whether it was going to happen or not. I'd never felt more depressed borderline suicidal I mean I was in a bad bad spot when I got dropped and I vowed after that I'm like I'm never gonna put myself in that position again so some people would argue that that's oh well I'm like you know I that's sort of fear and I've given up but for me it was a mental health thing
1: mm-hmm.
0: right like I just was like I I, I this, I'm like this thing broke me because I went for my dream and I was waiting for permission to do my dream and I didn't have the skills to navigate when the A&R man would tell me something I did not want to hear to get him to do what I want. You know, that's I didn't I didn't have that sort of will to power. I wasn't Machiavellian. I wasn't thinking, you know, I I, I wasn't that self-aware. It was not emotional. I was like, why do you think my song sucks? Right. You know, which I now realize. But the, the crazy part is, even though I'm totally aware of that now, I still think if I was put in that position again, I probably would do the same thing because I just. I'm not interested. Like, I'm not looking that sort of having the whole world sing my songs. Like, I I was watching Chris Martin on the live stream and recently because he was with J- Jacob Collier and like he looks like a crazy, insane, narcissist monster. Like, I just, <laughs> the guy doesn't look like I'm like I don't want that. You know, I'm like no, 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 no. He couldn't even interact. It was it was so bizarre. And I feel like every time and again when you see people who climb to that sort of apex. They're just always, there's something really wrong or something went wrong along the way.
1: Maybe it's the latter. I mean, my interpretation of it is just that you have to make, there's two things. One is you have to make a certain level of sacrifice, personal sacrifice, creative sacrifice, whatever it is, to get to that point. And the other part of it is in the process of becoming famous and becoming wealthy you lose your, like, you lose your personality, kind of, like, you know, it's like, you know, you think of somebody like Prince, right? If enough, or or Michael, or whoever, anybody who's famous, you get used to people blowing smoke up your ass, so no one can really be real with you anymore and you live in sort of a world of your own creation and you have to have a certain amount of like an almost superhuman amount of self-awareness to not get caught up in the ass smoke blowing part of it
0: well see i would even think that's self-awareness i think that's like a because it's, it's the i think these people are fully aware i mean prince is a you know prince from all accounts from day one was like i'm the man you know, that probably was an act, you know, in all reality. But, you know, well, yeah, probably him, like
1: a fake it till you make it kind of thing.
0: When, you know, him, the way him getting signed and from Warner Brothers and all those stories about him walking into offices and, you know, uh, Michael's a different creature because he's just, you know, that guy never had a life. Right. You know, he just was he wasn't he wasn't allowed to be normal. So but but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I've met down to earth superstars. Right. And you but usually like their careers flame out. You know, Nora Jones is as down to earth as it gets and as cool as it gets. And like, not that she's not a thing, but, you know, she's not the heights of what she was. And, you know, because I think she didn't prioritize that. She said, I want to make my music. And, you know, I've now had such a level of hit, like I can just do what I want. Whereas I don't think that's the way John Mayer thinks. Right. Right. You know, and I just I don't understand why our culture celebrates that because it just feels like such a weird not human thing.
1: I, I and, also and, think that that's a combination of things. I think our culture has a love affair with wealth and with fame. Sure, that's super sure. unhealthy. And I don't know. I mean, I you know I'm fortunate to have worked done what I do professionally for such a long period of time that I don't get starstruck anymore. Like no one. You know there are plenty of of artists that i admire but at the end of the day i know that these people shit and wipe their ass just like everybody else like sure. having that particular talent doesn't and having a certain amount of money doesn't make them any better than me but at the same time i think that these people are treated a lot like they're gods and see
0: i don't i don't know if that's i mean i i agree you're you're correct right? I'm not, you are absolutely correct, but I don't know if that's the source of why they become the way they are, Right, you know, because there's an import that I just don't understand. And maybe it it is faked until it's, fake it until you make it. But I, you know, I've been doing this a minute and I've run into a lot of famous people and I've grown up with famous people Right, and something shifts and something breaks. And I, part of my fear is that and i i'm like i have an irrational fear of i care more about fame than i should and i don't understand why you know i'm sure a lot of it has to do with the fact that i'm not famous right i mean that's and relative I, you you you're more famous than i am maybe, maybe. Yeah. i don't know i mean like not i mean not i don't you know but i don't like i'm not i think the 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 problem is that the Somewhere along the way for me, and I think this is the case from and this is where it's dangerous, is that your self-worth gets entangled with that appraise. And I think that's what it is. Is that like it becomes drug and you need the drug and you need the people to tell you that you're great. So you set up an environment where that's all you hear.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Because you don't want to hear the opposite. And I think any of the artists that I really respect, even if they're totally mental they're the ones who sort of take risks where they put themselves in situations to fail. You know, and I think I find that the most interesting. That so, said, you know, I don't like sometimes they're doing it as self-saboteurs. It's 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 really complex. I'm I'm I am on one hand I'm very I I think obviously now after what's happening in the world, like all this stuff seems so inconsequential, <laughs> you know, like this is all stuff I was mad about in February. Like I don't even, now I'm just like, whatever, man, I just want to get out of here. Right.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> you know, but, but as a, as a thought exercise, cause really I have to say there is something kind of incredible about the pandemic that has sort of leveled that whole part of my brain <laughs> where I'm just like, man, let's just hang on. Like, yeah, let's just get, you know, and I, I think I get like, I, I, I get very anxious around, famous people very anxious very uncomfortable
1: all famous people or just famous people who have that kind of aura
0: well they kind of all do i mean unless it's a famous person who goes out of their way to make me feel okay which means like ask you a question about yourself which most famous people will not do Mm -hmm. right they just don't they just won't ask you a question about yourself you could sit there like they will not feign the interest Right. And I think that's that's something I've learned. And it's hysterical because I've seen thousands of people act that same way on crappy singer songwriter stages stages across the country. <laughs> They're all just famous people in the waiting. So it's like it's a weird trait. It's not just like that. Like there's all these hacks who just act like that. And in, and it, what I think is very interesting is that that's the more common trait than the talent. You know, Okay. it's sort of the ability to just completely Shield to block out everything besides your own achievement. And I just, you know, that, that really fills me. It fills me with rage and frustration because I just think there's like, you know, it's like, it's this, it's, it's, it's elitist. It's like the same thing I would go through where I would like hang out with rich kids and not feel like I belong. It's like a club, you know? Right. And it's like famous people hanging out with famous people and they understand each other. And it's like, this is just gross, man. You know? And I think, there's something about it, like I've always rejected that club, and I've always sort of undermined it, and I've always been afraid of it. That I realize that even though I crave it so badly on some level, I, I mean, not even so badly, but I would like to be appreciated, I'll never be part of it.
1: But I think you are appreciated.
0: I am, but it's not. You know, it's never going to be living. Sure.
1: I mean, and and, and I,
0: mean, I mean, maybe, and if and if it is, it'll I'll, it'll come out of left field in some way I never even thought. You know, I'd right. be like, oh my god, that actually happened. I don't. You know, I'm gonna have to. I mean, I'm still gonna try to make it a living, but I'm not ultimately. If it comes down to compromising what I want to do in my muse versus making like really, you know, sort of. It, it, look, if someone pays me to do something, I'm gonna do it. But like, the re- that's <laughs> not how this works. They, you don't pay. You get. You have to pay with your dream. Right.
1: Yeah, I get that. Is there, yeah. is there a part of you that feels bitter, because? the whole, like, major label dream did not work out?
0: I think I've, I mean, I, I just wrote three records that are kind of loaded with that feeling, although I think the last one, the one I was about to do, hopefully I'm navigating it a little better uh, than I have. I mean, I feel like I've, it's just I, I, my sort of thing is I kind of walk right up to the line a lot of times, but this one, I, so I get people, a lot of feedback from my songs, people think I sound bitter, and I actually think I'm more bitter when I talk about it than in the songs. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, like when I talk about it, but I was traumatized for sure, you know? And I think I've processed the majority of that trauma. I, I have my moments when I get real frustrated, but you know, the, 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 the piece that I just made, I managed to basically almost pay for the whole thing through a Kickstarter, raised a fair amount of money, and I made it exactly the way I wanted to. And yeah, I didn't make any money off of it really. And I might down the road, you know, that it's like, but it's just adding to my catalog and adding to my narrative. That maybe someday someone will come and want me to do a thing and pay me for it, whether it's singing a jingle or whatever, you know, I don't know, or something more awesome. But, I you know, I've had, I've had opportunities that seem like these golden opportunities, and one of them was writing a song for a big Amazon Prime series that was all based around music. Mm-hmm. And I got in the room and it was a disaster because I was like, oh my God, I'm just with a narcissistic director who just wants to write songs. He doesn't <laughs> want to listen. You know, I mean, it's like, that's how it always works. There's always some fame monster at the end of it. I'm like, no, this isn't about collaborativeness. You know, of course it's not. There's, there's too much power at stake here. You know, I think the days of the, you know, the world where it's like, you know, the people, the, the, the true creatives who know how to like the, the I'm sure that was that play with Quincy Jones, but like, you know, he seemed like someone who was like, great. I'm going to take credit for all this, but I want to get the most talented people in the room and just let them do their thing. Right. You know, and his selfishness was taking credit for it, but I would be cool with that too, you know, if I got paid or whatever, you know, (laughs) although there's stories about that. I just think, (laughs) you know, I think, yeah, I mean, I'm not like, I'm not bitter about that. I'm just, I I just wish that I got to do the thing that makes me happy more. You know? Okay. I think, and I think a lot of people probably feel the same way. Sure. I mean, you know, uh,
1: look, I mean, there's, plenty of and i'm not trying to make excuses or anything like that there's plenty of people who tried their dream at being songwriters or performers or in theater or actors or whatever they are that are working in like a factory somewhere working at a shoe store or or, you know have been waiters for 10 years so i mean i think you know there's there's a certain level of perspective
0: that you need to have so this is where i'll go back to this is that I think the reason I'm still in the game is because of the work ethic. Right. It's not the talent.
1: I mean, can it, can it be both?
0: I'm sure it helps, but I got lots of friends who are real talented men and I just outwork them. You know, it's just like, and, and, and they're still, you know, I, I, maybe I think I'm more talented, but friends who are, let's say like without sounding like a total monster, like friends who are just as talented as me. Right. Mm -hmm. But I work harder than them. They're lazy or they've burnt out. They're like I don't want to do this. I've been doing this two decades. I'm done. I want to make a record that I don't challenge myself. Right. I just want to write the same thing over and over again. And I and I feel like that's something I'm very much like no. If I'm going to make a record, I'm going to push the envelope. Right? Whatever that means for at that moment. I'm going to try to reach as far as I can on the record. And even if it's in the wrong direction. That's what I'm going to do. And because I feel like these are opportunities to grow and learn as an artist. And that's the real thing. You know, I'm not trying to, if I'm trying to make some form of commerce, like I failed miserably, you know, no one, no one, this is not a piece of, I'm not making commerce. You know, I'm making something that pays for itself at best. So it's like, I'm not manicuring. And I think once I started to understand that, then like the success of an Ed Sheeran who I knew back in the day, doesn't bother me as much. I'm like, no, no, that guy's managing like a business. I'm out here trying to like do some crazy shit. Right. You know, and a lot of my friends, they they still think, they still feel like they're navigating the waters of commercial music. And I'm like, bro, no one cares about you. Like, that's gone. That ship has sailed. We're 40 years old now. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's not like... Make
0: what you want to make. Your odds are better of succeeding if you make some crazy shit.
1: Right. It's not like the 70s where you can be 35-year-old Bill Withers straight from manufacturing toilets and pick up a guitar and have a hit record. Nowadays they're, you know,
0: oh people train for this. They're like they're like athletes. It's like the same thing. It's like they got kids in AAU at age 12. It's like right. Taylor Swift Taylor Swift was ready to be a pop star like at age 9.
1: Right. Yes, you have you know, to be in order to be like a major pop star, you have to have begun in this from a young age. And it's and also just kind of like the commercial what stands for commercial nowadays has changed. Like you can't be Billy Joel and have a hit, whereas you could in the seventies, eighties or nineties, you know, nobody's looking for a guy or a girl with a piano. I mean the last,
0: well, but it's, it's based, it's based upon trends and, and, you right. know, I just think, I just think it's interesting. That's the one thing that I will say that like has been a real gift of leaving the major label system is that I've just been like, I've kind of, put a lot of that to the side. I mean, at first I would do it and then I make a record and it wouldn't, I wouldn't get this. this, Oh my God, my New York city concept record wasn't a hit. Well, you know, I I would, and I would bum me out and I wouldn't work for two years, you know, but I think now it's like, you know, I, I sort of climb that mountain. I'm like, look, this is just, I'm just off in, I'm off shouting in the universe and the darkness right now. And whoever, in a way when, then when people do find my work and they are moved by it, they, it means so much more. But I, I still think, and one of the main reasons I wrote this whole crazy thing was like, I don't even, I still don't, I'm still trying to figure out ways to get people to listen to songs. Like, I think half the people who are listening to my stuff just like me. (laughs) 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 They just think I'm entertaining and they're like, oh, let's check out the songs. And, and that's one of the, the conscious choices I've made to take my songwriting and my art to make it so literal and so much about my life. Cause I'm like, well, look, if they like, you know, if they like the person, they're going to like the songs. Sure So let's make them one Which essentially is what all these pop stars do now anyway You know We're sitting there analyzing every single hit record As like some piece of commentary on that person's life And who they are When that's all You know I'm sure Dua Lipa is the most boring person in the world
1: (laughs) I mean Maybe maybe not But yeah At the same time It's you know We live in a world where You have to have a story Right And it has to be an interesting story And not everybody in the world has an interesting story
0: right but they but but the songs are designed to be these kind of like ways for people to fall into them i just i, I think it's you know cuz take a look at prince like there's an interesting cat but like the content is it almost you could argue with prince his interestingness worked against him sure right cuz like he his sort of you know whereas now he something like that would be huge because he has this whole identity and persona that fuels the music right where you know but back then it you know but it's it's i think it's it's funny that it's the, the position of the cart and the horse have changed yeah so, i mean a certain level my,
1: a certain level of that, uniqueness is celebrated now whereas it could potentially be used have been used against you back in the day
0: i mean little richard man Jesus yeah I and mean, that's
1: that's a whole other you know i
0: mean that he's you know it's funny because growing up with that like I don't think I was, you know, as a child, I wasn't aware how out the box it was, that who he was, right. you know? Right. Like, just like, because he was, it was like, he was like an explosion, you know? We were just like, oh, well, there's that guy who does that thing. You never like start to think about this. Wait a minute, that was like a dude in the 50s. Like, you, when you start to really think about what it meant to what he was doing when he was doing it, it's just, it's bonkers.
1: Yeah, I mean, Little and Richard yet- is somebody who would be unique at any given point in history, even now.
0: Which is, fa- I think is fa- and then he goes on to inspire, you know, like, all the great music of, like, the 60s. Essentially, mm-hmm. he sort of gives birth to all the sort of, like, you know, like the white conquerors, like the Beatles and Bob Dylan. I mean, all the major players yeah. are all, like, if I hadn't heard Little Richard, I wouldn't be doing any of this, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's kind of wild.
1: Yeah. So, now you are kind of doing all the things that you do but you're now also a husband and father. Yes, sir. So what is it like? I mean, I guess the first part is looking back at your upbringing and now how you're raising two kids, like there's gotta be some pretty major differences there.
0: I know. I often find myself with my children, and look, I'm a new father. Right. I've been raising my daughter's three. My son is four months. I don't I'm not going to pretend I even know what fatherhood's about.
1: <laughs>
0: and I think that's something I'm learning. And that's when my father will remind me when I critique him because mm-hmm. I there are, now I often wish I could somehow get in a time machine and go full Jimmy Stewart and see how my father treated me when I was my their age to see if the things that I feel were real. Or were they not? Was sure. I just sort of making, you know, and that's what I'm most attuned to when I'm with them. I'm just like, all right. And, you know, I mean, I I, I think I can confidently say that my father would not have handled the pandemic with a level of cool headedness. <laughs> I mean, my, fa- you know, I mean, and I've yelled at them during this. It's been intense, man. Sure. It's, 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 you know, you feel terrible. I don't, I don't want to yell at a three-year-old, but my daughter's a little monster. She goes, <laughs> you know, she'll go at you. And I just think that I'd like to think that there's like a, I just try to be a little kinder and gentler and more empathic because sure. my father is not, it's not that he's not, well, my, 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 and in a lot of ways, my mother is sort of more the culprit here. And when it comes to incapable of empathy, but they both have issues with empathy, mm-hmm. right? And that's something I'm really trying to like not do. When I'm with them, I'm like, all right, let me just try and get in her headspace as to why she's just not, you know, and try to be like, what's wrong? How can, okay. I understand. That's not cool. You really want, you know, and sometimes it makes no sense. But, you know. Because she's three. Trying- she's three. She's a three-nager. Try to tell a- her <laughs> when she's like, I mean, how about this one? You want something to set you off when she's like, I'm not washing my hands when she comes inside. Yeah, I'd right. be like you. You are washing. You don't have a choice in this match. Try, try to keep your cool with that. You know what I mean? She's like, not ha- not washing my hands. No way. Not putting. I'm like, you know, no. I will not. Don't need to wash my hands. I will not do any um hand sanitizer or anything. <laughs> oh man, make you make you lose your mind. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely going to be the great challenge in my life, and it's it's also a challenge as an artist because look, I'm still trying to find ways to make art and still trying to find ways to make a living and still trying to find ways to care for them, you know, which is now I'm pretty much the primary because my wife went back to work. She's an essential worker and I don't have any gigs. Right. So I'm home, I'm home kind of juggling it all. But this, there's part of me that's like, man, I was, this shit was always crazy for me. Like doing fucking what I'm doing for a living. I had no, I never had a safety net. So why is this any different? Yeah. I mean, you know, I had the safety net of my father, who would give me give me money, but there'd be like, it would I'd have to it'd be like a loan from a bank, right? You know, it wasn't it's a not, real safety. Net. Yeah, it's, it's not, not. It's not like my like my parents who have helped help. help They're like they get deposits for houses or get Lily's cosign. He was like, you can borrow the money, but you're gonna pay it back <laughs> with interest. No, I, I mean, and you know, yeah.
1: In that respect, I relate to you 100 percent because I've totally. never. You know, I've never received a handout from anybody, right. like literally I mean, since I was 17 years old, nobody in my family has ever lent me money.
0: And, and to be clear, I want to say, like, I like I am not you. Like, I have a feeling from what I know of your background, like I have been fortunate, you know, like I've been given shit. And I'm not saying yeah. you haven't been given shit. It, but it's like, all relative. Exactly. But I think for me in my family, there is a cost that other people don't feel. There is actually a literal cost. There is a cost of paying the money back. Sure. But there's it's my dad and money is a funny business, you know, and he's a hot. My dad's a hustler. My dad was a professional gambler for a minute. Like my dad is a hustler. Certain things
1: make so much sense now that I know that when
0: when you get when you get in the mix with him and you're talking money like you're not talking to your father anymore. You're talking to that guy, you know, so. And that's affected a lot of the way that I deal with the world, you know, I, and I think a lot of things that I reject, too, are like, I don't want to do that. So that's maybe why I chose something that was so financially stupid, because I was like, <laughs> well, this is hope, you know, I don't have to deal with that, even though I, I, I feel like I'm definitely the most enterprising of all my friends who do music. You know, I'm I'm out there really trying to make, you know, make things happen in that respect. But, yeah, I think for, for the kids, I just I just, you know. It's funny the thing that I'm the, the, I have the, the weirdest part about because I know this is a we're talking about manhood
1: mm-hmm.
0: is like my son I, I'm cool with raising my daughter I'm not worried about that really like, we're gonna nah, we're gonna be fine like the father daughter thing is real Okay. she's like base, she's basically like my wife like, <laughs> she's my real wife you know my, my wife is the one to give birth to her but then I have my real wife as my daughter and that girl <laughs> like we have like a you know my son is a different story, you know, and that's the thing. I'm actually the most like, okay, how am I going to figure this one out? And he's only four months old, you know, but there's like, I have thoughts of like, you know, cause it's, I just feel like it's, it's a lot easier to resist the societal impressioning. And this is going to be a controversial statement. It's easier to resist that with a girl than it is with a guy as a man talking to a girl. Okay. Can you explain Okay, Sorry, it? a boy. So like. You know, they say with young women or young girls, they're like, don't say they're pretty, don't say they're beautiful, all that stuff. Say they're strong encourage all this other stuff. But like, how do you do that with a young boy? You know, it's a different animal. And I think it's just, I don't know. I, I mean, how do I, let me like rephrase that. How do I do that with a young boy? Like, I don't really understand how I'm going to talk to him If, I mean, I'm going to talk to him, I'm going to be, you know, it's going to be fine. I'm his dad. I'm going to love him and it's going to be cool. But I'm just saying like how to approach it. It just seems like a lot easier to raise a strong woman than it is to raise a strong man. Look, I'm not, not, I'm not a father, so I don't know. That is, that is my initial take at a very early stage of this. And Again, I have a four-month-old son. He's, like, not even a person yet. He's just a <laughs> thing. So I don't know. But I think about these things. Like, even – it's just weird. The, the, the manhood thing is complex in a way that I don't think gets credit because obviously it comes with all this rage and awful, you know, like sort of stuff that's been perpetrated. But the right, actual well, dynamics shitty, of that.
1: Shitty conditioned baggage.
0: Yeah, which is like – and I think in a weird way I'm, – and I'm, I am in no way, shape, or form – trying to state that there's like an equal burden here. I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, but I think it's like encouraging the, those value it's, 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 it's I, th- I can see it being challenging. Like it's a lot easier for me to show empathy and compassion. I think it's going to be uh, for my daughter than it will be for my son. Hmm. Right. Because really, because essentially to be compassionate with your son means you have to be compassionate with yourself.
1: Yes. I mean, it can be, be compassionate with anybody. It means you you have to be compassionate with yourself. Right.
0: But 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 with your son, that's you, right in your mind. And then what happens if it's not your son? I keep, I think about it all the time, like, what if my son is not my son? What if my son wants to become a woman? What if my son wants to do this? You know, like I think about that stuff because I feel like I'm playing around. And I, I didn't think about it as much with her, but I'm like I like you know when I start calling guy and little guy, and I I don't know. It just feels very, for whatever reason, the way I relate to my daughter feels very natural and just sort of instinctual Mm -hmm. and sort of like cool. And in fact, I'm creating sort of like, you know, I realize that I'm creating kind of like the male figure in her life, but I just, I don't know. It just feels like, I think I I get really, I get really messed up about it when I think about it with my son, because it's like, I think about my dad and I think about Jesus. I don't want to do what he did. So how do I do this? You know, it's tough.
1: Well, I mean, maybe it's just kind of being conscious. I mean, the first step is actually knowing, you know, or realizing that there are certain things you don't want to do in behaviors that you don't want to emulate. So you just try to not emulate them.
0: No, of course. I mean, I, I and I think ultimately one thing I'm realizing with my daughter is she's her own person. He's the to be his own, Like, they're going to do whatever they do. Like, there's, there's no, there's, I'm not going to affect anything, really. Right. Well, I mean, you, I'm just going to either, I'm either going to make their lives easier or harder.
1: You set the template. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like you, you know, you want, I think if, if I were a parent, I would want my kid or kids to be comfortable telling me anything like, sure, you know, if they feel a certain way, if they're uncomfortable about something, if somebody's treating them like shit, like I want, I would want them to come to me and tell them, tell me what's on their mind without having any worry that I'm going to be judgmental of them for whatever reason
0: yeah I mean, yeah it's I, like it's no I, I mean I agree with you. I'm not yeah. saying that, that's, that's 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 that is that sounds like a very good good rule of thumb when parenting right. <laughs> but I you know I just I don't know. I feel like so much of the way that I behave, it's learned behavior from watching examples and I see it in my daughter already they they just they they're so perceptive and they emulate so quickly. oh, yeah. That you're like, I don't want to pass this thing on to you, you know, but I can't control it. It's a compulsive behavior. And I'm hoping that there's just at least when the time comes, I'll be able to have that conversation with my kid and have it not really be about me because I don't think my parents could do that with me. Sure. It was always about I had to like enter their world. Right. And see things through their lens. Right. And I, you know, the irony is that my parents think I'm really self-centered and selfish and like a, you know, kind of, which is hysterical, like that they would even say that to their kid.
1: I mean, that's I I can, again, like not to make this about me at all, but I can relate to that. I mean, my older right. relatives, it was always kind of like, you know, we're the teachers, you're the student, you're right. whatever you think is not valid because we know it all. And I try to come into any relationship that I have now with the knowledge that sure, there's stuff I know, but there's just as much that I don't know. And
0: I, I I, I think when I think about it a lot, I mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. I I think it's generational, you know, like Mm, I think, I think people from, you know, the boomer generation, there's just a different vibe, you know, and like, it takes a pretty in touch. I I think it's like it's not culturally appropriate for my father to behave that way. Sure. Because of where he came from and his lifestyle. sure. And I have to understand that when we talk because if I don't take that into it, we're going to get into a fight. I have to remember who's just like, you know, when old people use like slurs. Yes. Right. Do they really mean it? Are they really racist or is it just the way they were brought up? I mean, it, is there a difference? Is the big question. But, well, but there, you know what I mean?
1: There, there is a difference, but there are, you know, some old people are just older people are just kind of like there's an immediate dismissal of your opinion because you're younger than them. Whereas they might know. Yeah, you know, I, I shouldn't use this word or I shouldn't speak this way or I shouldn't treat this person this way. But, you know, I'm older than them. I have more life experience. So who's going to check me?
0: Exactly. No, that's exactly it. And and I think what happens is, is like, I just don't, you know, I mean, and I think maybe that's one of the, the things I'm fortunate as a musician to to sort of be, you know, to partake in is that like. I'm around young people all the time. And in fact, I'm always listening because I wanna like I'm like, hey, give me some of that sauce because I need it right now. Right. (laughs) You know, I need to know what you where you're at because I gotta make be relevant still. Right. So I gotta kinda listen to them, even though they don't know what they're talking about ninety percent of the time. Right. And try not to be dismissive.
1: Right. So sort of what helps you navigate all this? Like how do you kind of maintain your sanity in the midst of all these complicated relationships and then trying to stay afloat? financially and you know with your work and kind of all that stuff like you know well
0: for the longest time the 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 music is like my my therapy right it's my outlet but now that's been taken from me right Right. because I can't play gigs and so it's just and and I'm watching kids all day long so yeah I started therapy (laughs) I I have like I started I got a great deal from BetterHelp and I'm like you know got my Monday morning you know head screwing that I've started, which I I was doing therapy before my daughter was born. That was really helpful. And i like, I wrote a whole record that kind of came out of that headspace. But, you know, the, the work is therapeutic for me. That's one of the reasons I do it. It keeps me kind of sane, you know, to, to, and I think also because so much of my art is so literal and is so much of, it's like me, it's me. I mean, I straight up wrote an album right now. That's a a conceptual musical it's called please don't make me B- play piano man it's all about not being billy joel i mean like that's my ho- but i went so deep down that that rabbit hole that i feel like i was able to not only work out my problems but hopefully take people with me and and what's funny is i have fans who don't like it like a guy wrote me and he's just like this guy i, I still have to figure out how i'm going to respond to him but he's just like dude i don't like your new music at all
1: why didn't he like it
0: because it's too much about you
1: but all of your music is about you.
0: I know, but he's like, I can't identify with this. I like liked your earlier stuff where you were just talking about talk, like hanging out and trying to meet girls. People change. I know, <laughs> but, you know, but, but pop music doesn't.
1: Right. I mean, you're you're a 40 year old guy with a wife and two kids.
0: I feel like it would make it, but you know, I mean, like, you what makes you think you listen to a Coldplay album now as opposed to a Coldplay album when it came out? Like, they really about anything different? You know, what I mean, it's like.
1: I mean, I, you know, I, I think so. I mean, I can, you know. But
0: it's pretty, you have to read between the lines pretty hard. Sure. You know, it's like they're all they're because it's commerce. And I'm like, dude, are you, I'm like, what do you, you know, it's like you, you yelling it. I mean, like, whatever. I'm not Picasso. But it's like, you know, it's like art's supposed to change, man. I'm psyched when people make their weird records. <laughs> I'm actually with Little Richard. I was like, I know there's some 70s records I need to check out. That I don't even know that. Apparently he made like some real crazy funk records. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, I gotta check that out. Like, I wanna hear that, but that's like a totally weird thing.
1: I mean, that's just personal evolution. Like, you, if, if you do yeah, grow as a person, like, something's wrong.
0: Yeah, but art doesn't really do that. I mean, it does, but we're talking about like, you know, people who are fans of pop music, they're fans of commerce. Like, they're not fans of, they're not, you know, we're not, I'm not talking like a scribe like you. I'm not, ta- like, this is like a, you know, I'm gonna sound like a total schmoo, but it's like a plebeian, you know, it's like a commoner. Sure. Person, like listens to stuff on the radio, just get consumes whatever music they're given. Sure. And what's interesting is that he picked up on me as something different. But then the more different I got, the more he's like, I can't hang with this man. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. I'm not navigating your interpersonal Or You know, it's like that, that you, is like, so your job. You s- no, of course it's not my job. <laughs> like, but it's like it's just hysterical that like it, people it makes people mad,
1: mm,
0: you bad. know, and I see it a lot. So it's like yeah exactly I mean I'm not going to stop them. but like but for me I'm going to I write the, the a lot of the work that I do that it, it's in the songs you know the songs allow me to that they're like my coping mechanism the way to figure things out
1: Right on So what else are you doing with your life where can people find out what's going on in the world of Julian Villard?
0: Well they can make the regrettable choice to follow me on social media <laughs> where I was just Berate them with with call to actions non-stops. And so I feel t- I'm like actually really glad I don't know when this will air but I just wrapped a Kickstarter and I'm so glad to like not just be like Blatantly just using my children just doing whatever I can to get people to give me money I was, I was so I was relentless You got but your you know, money with it. I got my money now, but you know after this like I said during COVID I'm like, well what shit, man. This is my revenue source. I got to go hard now, you know, but you know, you can follow me online. I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel like one of the nice rewards of writing stuff that is so autobiographical is that like the person that you see in the social media and the person you talk to, it's like it's not an act. It's all the same dude. Right. So it's really fun to let people sort of feel like when they get into my kind of web of content that it, if, if they want it's, and they get it, it's very rich because they're like, oh, this is all real. It's all coming from place. He's actually talking about real things that happened to him in the songs. And I see corollaries to that in the, the socials and stuff. So I've been, you know, but, you know, I've got a website. I mean, I don't even know how people find anybody these days.
1: <laughs> I mean, there's a variety of, of ways. You need to have a TikTok page, Julian. I know, right? <laughs> no, you don't. I would, I don't, should, get, don't get a TikTok page.
0: I you know I cuz I, I yeah you're too old people for tell this. me I got to